Thanks for joining us at the Business Growth Cafe, where each week we select from a menu of topics for a focused discussion with an industry expert to provide insights that can impact your business's growth with your host, Angelo Ponzi. I am Angelo Ponzi, your host here at the Business Growth Cafe, and thank you for joining us. I've been very fortunate to have a wide variety of guests on my show over the past two years, but I've never had a lion tamer. You heard me, a lion tamer. Well, let me clarify that a little bit. It's an executive lion tamer. Now let's imagine a whip, a chair, a colorful outfit, getting the lions to succumb to their commands. Now I'd like to see that actually. Now imagine one of those lions as a business leader, jumping through hoops, really succumbing to the commands and trying to better themselves as they move forward. But think about that lion tamer is doing, building trust among the lions, getting them to cooperate with each other, to trust the lion tamer or the business leader that has their best interest in mind, creating a safe work environment, whether it's in the office or whether it's in the cage. Well, today I have Carol Marzouk, the Chief Executive Lion Tamer and CEO of Leadership in Soul to discuss how she helps rebuild low trust relationships in the workplace, resolve conflict, communications, and engagement. So don't go away. I'm going to take a quick break and I'll be back to help you build a little trust with your business. My company, The Ponzi Group, provides consulting, interim, and fractional marketing and leadership services with a focus on the strategic and analytical side of marketing. We take a holistic approach to driving business growth. Consider us your marketing architects. We use research to gather the necessary insights from your customers, prospects, the competition, and the marketplace to develop fact-based approaches to building effective and efficient growth plans. And, much like a general contractor, we partner with internal teams or carefully selected vetted individuals and organizations to execute the strategies and plans, as well as provide oversight and management to ensure we stay on brand and plan. To learn more about our services, visit theponzagroup.com. As I mentioned, I have Carol Marzouk, Chief Executive Lion Tamer and CEO of Leadership and Soul to discuss how she helps rebuild low trust relationships in the workplace, resolves conflicts, communications issues, and drives engagement within the workforce. Carol, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so wonderful to be here, Angelo. I'm excited. You know, we met, uh, I mean, officially just about 30 days or so ago, we, we actually informally met earlier in the year when uh, you were on video in, a, in a, a webinar that I was doing and you were there as the, a guest of uh, Lilani, which is a friend of ours, and she had you on video. So we never actually met. So I, I'm excited that you're here. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of education, and I know the listeners are going to benefit from this. Well, thank you. Thank you. I love being here. Thank you for inviting me. Oh, oh my pleasure. So before we get started, why don't you take a few minutes to tell the audience who you are, what you do, put things in context for them. So as we're going through the, the conversation today, they know who you are. <laughs> Absolutely. So I... I work with uh, folks that are kind of getting in their own way. They're toxic. They're toxic in the workplace. They're toxic at home. And, um, you know, they tend to be CEOs, surgeons, attorneys, and I love them to death. And the more toxic they seem, the more fun it is for me. <laughs> so um, that's what I do in a nutshell. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about toxicity here in a little bit, because I, I know what you mean, especially in the workplace. I, 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 and we had our kind of a prep call earlier on. I, I have worked in those environments. Uh, some I've survived, some I couldn't stand it anymore, and I got the hell out. So I know how corrosive, we use toxicity and corrosiveness they can be, and how they can erode productivity and, and employee loyalty and all those other things. But I'm going to save that just for a second. Because you're an entrepreneur and you run a business. So when you think about growing your business, what keeps you up at night? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> um, that is not what keeps me up at night. Uh, when I started my business, well, I've been wanting to start my own business since I was in corporate. 
And um, I'm married to an engineer who's wonderful. We've been married for 21 years. Congratulations. Thank you. As you can imagine, um, he was very happy with my paycheck at, in corporate. I, um, I was in charge of you know, a very large, well, pretty much the whole area of learning and development um, for the whole global operation. And, um, and I had a nice paycheck. And so he just said, you know, can you just do your job and we can just keep our paycheck. And so at some point I just said, you know, I'm kind of done and we're just going to, you know, I really just kind of need to do this. And so he took the leap with me. And honestly, Angelo, even now I drive my coaches crazy because I don't really care so much about my bottom line. I, what keeps me up at night is, oh gosh, you know, did I send this person this or could I have helped this person more? Or did I tell them about this resource or, and the dollars just come in and the business itself doesn't keep me up at night at all. It's my clients. I just want to make sure that I'm there for them. Okay. Fantastic. Now, Going from corporate world to to an entrepreneur, was this your first entrepreneurial venture? Yes. Okay. So did so it wasn't like you woke up one day and said, hey, "I think I'm going to become an entrepreneur. I'm leaving my job tomorrow." It might, you're smiling. I can see you. It might have been something like that. But how much planning did you do before you made that leap? Um, not much. Um, you know, it wasn't, I mean, when I was in high school and, you know, I did little things, right? Like I sold roses and I did little things to get by. Um, but I, I didn't do a lot of planning. I kind of just took the leap. I know I did everything wrong. I'll say that I, I did everything wrong. Um, I didn't do anything by the book <laughs> and it just kind of happened because, my whole premise was, you know, I, I want, I, I know what I, what my sweet spot is. I know what I want to do. I know what I'm good at. I'm, I know that a lot of people know what I'm good at because I've been doing it for so many years. And so I'm just going to tell them that I'm doing it on my own now. And that's what happened. And so my clients just kept referring me other clients and, and then it just snowballed. Well, that that's always great when you're getting referrals and, and growing your business. It, it's so my first shot at, as an entrepreneur, I was 23. So I've only been in the workplace and 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 I grew up. My dad was an entrepreneur and my mom worked with my dad. So I always saw it. So I always knew I wanted to be my own boss. And, and so I was I, I won't go into this a long story, but but I, I did it at 23, was in the film industry and I was started grew and failed all in the same year. And my partners were way older than me and I believed everything they told me. And so I learned a, a huge lesson. They didn't teach you that in college, you know, about you're trusting your partners. And it was around about seven years later. And I now went from agency to corporate and back to you know, jumping around. And I was trying to buy this firm I was working in and they, and they broke off the deal at the nth hour and I got upset. In those days, I was a younger, hot-headed Italian as opposed to just. <laughs> and, and I said, that's it. And I walked out the door. And so I started calling all of my competitors and started pitching them on the idea of me being a resource for them. Uh, uh -huh. And I had a whole bunch say they would do it. And, and, and some of them did, some of them didn't, but that's how I, I got started in my second entrepreneurial uh, position. And, and that actually went for about 13, low or 13 years before I sold my company. And so, uh, but it was one of those same like you. I mean, it was, it was like, literally, I was like, I'm done. I'm walking out the door. I, I'm over this stuff. I'm not doing the corporate stuff anymore. And that's how I got going there. Yeah, there's a point where you just say, I'm done. And, and part of that I'm done for me was the toxicity in the very people that were working with me that were um, essentially, they knew exactly what to say in public and they were doing the, the exact opposite um, behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. so the, you know, the thing that I think was the last straw for me is, you know, I would travel, I was traveling a lot. And so, you know, my programs took me all over the place. And one of them was, 
you know, Italy and, and the other one was France. And, you know, and so I remember being in those places and my boss's boss would actually seek out where I was to then get me right before I start speaking and it would be to the board or to the executive team that I'm bringing on to this, you know, this leadership program, global leadership program. And he would say things like, you know, you, you have zero value. I don't know why the board is working with you. The CEO shouldn't have you uh, working with him. He should want to work with me. And this went on for two years. And, and, and that, you know, that was really difficult because here I am, telling people, you know, and coaching people on how to handle this stuff. And meanwhile, I'm taking it from this, you know, six foot seven Irish man, and I'm five two. And, and, you know, and I'm just taking it. And, um, and so finally, I, I did end up just um, addressing it and telling and asking and the way I addressed it was, I just said, All right, so what are three things that I do well? And of course, he had no answer for that. He didn't want to ever tell me anything I did well. And so he eventually stopped saying those things and he stopped following me. But it, it was two years of that. And then that was my breaking point, Angelo. That's when I said, no money, like no amount of money is worth this. And I'd rather make zero or $100 a week and just do what I love and go move into an apartment if we have to then take this stuff and I'm going to go help people that are in this situation because nobody should have to do that. Nobody should have to live like this. Uh, I, I agree wholeheartedly with you. And like I was saying, I, I've been there, done, been there, experienced that. And I, I don't think I would have taken two years again. Um, <laughs> I was a little hotter in those days, but, uh, but even so, I mean, my most recent experience is only four years ago where the, it, it was, the environment was so toxic in the way that the management treated the employees to the point where it just, it just broke me. And some, and I won't go into the story and we'll talk offline at some point in time, but there was just something that was done. It was like that enough is enough. I just can't, I can't be here anymore. When, when you're a consultant driving to work and you're questioning, why am I going there? Why do I, why am I putting up with this stuff? I don't have to, but why am I right? Right. So, what is the best business advice, two questions, you've ever received and or given, if it's different? Okay. So the best business advice that I've ever received is don't do business with anyone you don't like. And the best business advice that I've ever given is don't work as if that is your life. So many of us do, right? I mean, so many people I imagine that you're working with and certainly myself have been there many times where it becomes, we I don't want to say obsessed, but it's part of our who we are. And, and I find that when someone loses a, a, a position for whatever reason, it's, be, for, it's become part of their identity. And there's a struggle with that. I, I have some very close friends that after seven years, they lost their position because of COVID. And, and, and it's, it's almost 10 months later, and they're still struggling with that identity. Yeah. I still struggle sometimes with one that happened to me back in 2008 mm. it, because of the energy we put into it and all this stuff. And still to this day, I don't understand. I know why it happened, but I don't understand why we got to that point that things fell apart. And it's, but it was part of my identity and I still talk about it and it's, you know, it's back there. It's a psychological thing. I'm sure that you have to deal with when you're talking to a lot of the, the folks that you're working with. It's true. And in mergers, you were talking about selling your business. Mm -hmm. so, um, when I, I deal a lot with mergers and acquisitions, they call me when the deal is many times about to go through. And then all of a sudden somebody gets up from the table and it's usually the seller, right? Yeah. And um, something just goes like nobody understands it. Um, and so they call me. And many times if they had called me earlier, I would have assessed the seller and I would have realized that this man or this woman would, it just happens to be that it's usually a man when, when I'm in, you know, when I've been involved, but they, they are not going to sell. They're going to get all the way to the end 
And they're going to see that 60, you know, 60, $100 million paycheck, right? In their, like, it's almost in their hands. And they're going to realize that if they give this up, they're going to have nothing. And they're, they're going to lose their identity. Um, and it happens more often than you think. And so it's very interesting. But yeah, there are a lot of people that this is their identity. This is it. This is it. And many times they're not the president or the CEO. They're an HR director or a manager or a, an admin and they lose the job. And then it's like, whoosh. Yeah, it's interesting. You, you just you, you just brought up a bad memory for me. Thank you very much. But, <laughs> <laughs> but when I when I sold my business, yeah, we are now moving into a high rise office and you know it was a more of a formal office situation. And 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 I, I just flashed on me out of the 21 of us, I was the only one that struggled with the change. That now I'm in an office. Now I got people walking in my office door all the time and all this kind of stuff. And so it, it, I, I remember struggling with it in the beginning. It probably took me longer than anybody to settle in. And then at the end, when it ended, and it ended because it's a long story, but they tried to move this. I didn't want to go, blah, blah, blah. And I struggled with that because I couldn't understand because I thought we could have made it work where we were at. We didn't need to move to another town. And so, yeah, I mean, really coming and going, because again, back to identity and what's your purpose and what are you going to do? And Hey, I, I don't know if I had a hundred million dollars, I wouldn't be thinking twice about it, but you just never know because money doesn't necessarily make you happy and make you at peace. Right. No, nope. Many of my clients are millionaires and let me tell you, <laughs> it's far from where they're at. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, now, on your in my intro and certainly on your LinkedIn and other places, you refer to yourself as the executive lion tamer. Now, I love the positioning. I, I, it's very descriptive. I, I see it. I love the mantra. But where did it come from? <laughs> so it came from my telling a story one time, actually improvisers. Um, you know how you tell stories about what's happening with your clients. And so I was telling the story of how there was an attorney who referred me to another attorney. And the situation was that he had serious anger issues um, and he was violent in the workplace. And it came down to, um, you know, <laughs> we met, let me back up. So we met, we had uh, lunch and he said, oh, I, I know what they're trying to do, Carol, but here's the thing, I'm the rainmaker of the firm. And if anyone has to adapt, it's everybody else. Because without me, they've got nothing. And so I said, no, I get it. I, you know, I'm not for everyone. And here's my card. And if you know of anyone that's, that's coachable and that wants help or, you know, whatever it is, please give them my card. And, you know, I'm here. And so I thought he would throw my card away. But about a month later, um, he called me. And I remember I, I didn't have a lot of sleep the night before. So I was, I found everything extra funny. And he called me and he, <laughs> he said, hey, Carol, do you remember me? And I said, yes. I was really surprised that he called. And, and I said, yes, I absolutely do. And he said, well, I just threw a chair across the room and I almost hit an associate. It grazed her, uh, her shoulder. And so I said, well, so are you calling me because you need better aim? And so <laughs> this is not a time for jokes. You know, now we have a lawsuit and, you know, now I, I really need your help. And they told me that if anyone could get rid of this lawsuit, it would be you. So, you know, this is the person that, that really had it in for me before. And now really, she really is upset. And so he said, you, you told me that I need to be coachable and not so many words. And I guess now I'm coachable. <laughs> so I started working with that firm. I'm still working with them. Um, now they don't have any issues at all, actually, but um, they still, they still want to continue to grow. And I've been working with the managing partner and, and the rest of the attorneys and, and they've been wonderful. So how did you get the label lion tamer though? When I told the, the story improvisers, um, Pete Tetler and Mark Henkin, they, they were listening to the story 
And Mark threw something out about lions. And then Pete Tetler said, I have it. I know what you are. You're the executive lion tamer. And it just kind of stuck. Kind of stuck. That's great. I love it. I love it. Yeah. Now, when when someone calls, I mean, in, in, in general, but obviously you're going to be referencing your clients. I mean, there, there's a pain point. There's issue. You just described an issue with a, with a gentleman. Um, throwing chairs is a little extreme, but there, that there's issues. So what kind of motivates? What is there certain things that push people over the edge to, to call you? Is it about culture? Is it, you know, feeling alone at the top? Is it uh, stress, uh, losing key employees? I mean, are there kind of triggers that, that people pick up the phone? Uh, yeah. So many times they call me about someone else. So it'll be the CEO calling me about the CEO um, or, you know, he'll say, fix my team, right? Thinking that there's nothing wrong with him or her. Um, or somebody will say, you know, I really just, I, I really need to get to my next level of game. And I can't really talk to anybody about all of these fears that I have. And it is lonely at the top. Um, but yeah, many times it's somebody else calling me for the other executive. Uh, I was just called in by a CFO for the CEO. Um, and, and so that's how it typically starts. And it's like, how do I introduce you? And then, and then it turns into, of course, me working with the whole team because it, you know, nobody works in an Island and we all enable the behavior of everyone else. Um, and I work one-on-one -on -one with, um, with, you know, whoever it is that needs the most help and that is coachable and that wants to do it. And most of the time it is, it ends up being the CEO or the, you know, the, the people at the very top and it does start at the top. So if they don't want help, um, it's going to be very difficult to change that culture, uh, because it really does start there, as you know. Yeah, it does. I mean, it's, I don't care what happens and how hard people work at, at the, in the ranks, if the leader is not there. I remember I worked for this company and, and I was my very first meeting with the organization. We were in a big room and there was like 25 people and it was kind of the managers and their next level down and all these things. And it was, um, what I gathered was a, a reporting, a weekly reporting of your activities. We weren't two people in and the, and the person says, well, I didn't have a chance to finish that. And the CEO berated them for at least 25 minutes. Then it went on to the next one. And that person, I could see in their face, they were fearful. They, they did not um, do what they had to do. And she did it again. That meeting lasted almost three hours. And... Thank God when it got to me, they said, well, you're too new. You don't know. You don't have anything to report yet and moved on. And and, and my job was to counsel her. And, and so I you know, immediately said, well, you know, you can't do this. If you really want to do this, to, you, you got to pull them aside. You got to have, you know, different kind of team meetings. You can't do this in a big crowd. And, and, and so it was just interesting that I've seen, you know, places where there's been toxicity, but this one was, was just riddled with it. And I remember, um, I did a, an employee survey and the, and the employees basically responded as as soon as the CEO walked into the office, they all put their heads down for fear that they would catch her eye and lose their job. So, I mean, that was like just a horrible environment to work in. That is horrible. And many times they, they do think, oh, they're never going to go for it. They're not coachable. They're horrific people. And those are the people that actually end up needing the most help and that are the most insecure. And that be because it's almost like they're crying out for help with that toxicity. So those are the people, the ones that, that others think are not going to go for it are the ones that actually end up going for it more. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, but you're talking at the top, but how often do you, you know, at the end, regardless, if, you know, it, it rolls downhill. We know what the it is. Um, Really, you're talking about employee engagement now, employee involvement. Do you get down into that level and, 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 and you know, do you have a program in a sense that you work with employees to kind of get them more engaged in loyalty? Because we're going to talk about kind of the disengagement of employees right now in, in, in the world and here in the United States. So that engagement, that loyalty, that 
the emotional connection, as I like to say to the organization, is so important these days because, you know, maybe COVID's impacted that a little bit or probably a lot of it. But um, how, how do you how do you work with the employee base? Yeah, so um, I work from everybody from the boardroom to the mailroom. Uh, but I always do start at the top for the reasons that we talked about. And yes, so I work in chunks. <laughs> so it always, even though we start at the top, we always go into the different teams and it really depends on the organization and how they're structured. But at the end of the day, um, once we get the, the leaders on board, then it's a lot easier for everybody else to get on board. And the trick is to not have this huge campaign. You're in marketing, you, you get all this stuff, you know, you're, you're so knowledgeable in this area. And you know that if we say, all right, everyone, so these are our values, this, you know, we're gonna start doing this, we're gonna, and it's this huge campaign. Like, like a really great example is um, one of my big companies that everybody knows um, that I can't reveal, but they, they are, they're known for working their employees to the ground. And we're trying to change that. We're starting at the top and it's very hard for the CEO and his partner to, to change, but they're really trying. We're working on this. And one of the situations that we had was, you know, he said, okay, we're going to only have hours between, like you can only work between this hour and this hour. You cannot accept meetings before this time and after this time. I want you to have more work-life balance. And part of that is because people were feeling that if they didn't work at 2 a.m., they'd be fired. Cause that was, that's the culture. And yet, he's sending out emails at three in the morning and texting at three in the morning, right? So saying something and doing something different is worse than not saying anything at all. Yeah. So the point is that once we have people doing it, not saying it, it's a lot easier to then move into the different facets of the organization, but absolutely. And the other trick is, to have each group uh, buy into their culture, right? Buy into the culture by being part of what that culture looks like. So if it's, you know, uh, they have to be, they have to have a say in it. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, it's like, it's like a brand promise. You can set that, you can establish that. And the first time someone breaks it, you know, you, you've destroyed the, the promise you destroyed what you've said and same thing with culture it's 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 fra for me culture is very fragile in the organization because you can work really really hard to set those guidelines and boundaries and the things that you want to happen you know and back to your original guy somebody throws a chair <laughs> and it's all over right it just changes what's going on I, I think i mentioned to you when we talked earlier i remember in one of my agencies you know, my partners would roll in 9.30, 10, but they like to work really late as I did, but they like to work really late. And I remember one day they came to me and said, you know, why are you people leaving so early? I said, well, they left at, I don't know, 5.30, 6, 6.30. And, I, and they said, well, we're here. What if we need them? I said, well, if you need them, you should be here a little earlier to utilize them. They shouldn't have to sit around and just because you may or may not decide you want to access them. And I had a, a, earlier in my career, I had a boss who used to make me come in every Sunday morning, sit in his office while he literally rewrote his list of things to do. And at the end of the day, he, let's say he had 50 things. I might get two of them, but he wanted me there just in case. And I didn't know, you know, I was new in my career. It's like he said, Sunday morning. Yep, I'm there Sunday morning. I never thought to push back and say, no, thank you or whatever. I'm busy. And uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure this is, this is very prevalent in, in any business culture that, you know, you have to establish it. Because that probably be one of the hardest things. And I've had several guests on the show talking about work-life balance. It is, it is the holy grail <laughs> that few of us ever get to, to grab a hold of and drink from. Um, and, and so how do you really talk about work-life balance, which is, again, it's just elusive. It's like looking for a unicorn. It's it's very difficult to find. They might be there, but, but we can't find them. 
So the most important thing about that is to understand the actual person's individual needs and lifestyle. One size does not fit all. I have a surgeon who has very interesting hours, has a home life where, you know, they're they're always busy at night or they're always together at night. And he can't go to sleep at nine or 10 at night. It doesn't work in order to wake up early. Um, And so he snoozes and snoozes, you know, and it's just like, and he doesn't get to work on time, which is something, you know, so he gets there just before surgery, which ticks off everybody else. Right. And so it's, it's really understanding the, how they work and their lifestyle in order to give them the balance in parts of the day. So now we have him getting up a little bit earlier and how, how do we, how did we get him not to snooze? Well, we find out what the currency is, right? What gets him up early? What gets his soul on fire? Mm-hmm. Playing the guitar. Playing the guitar gets his soul on fire. So at six in the morning, he gets to go feed his soul into a room for 45 minutes. And that gets him up at six, which gets him into the surgery room early. And so now he's been on time and and he's had that feeding of the soul and he gets home in time to be with the kids. And, you know, it's just a small change. And so I don't know if that's that's exactly work-life balance, but it's one aspect of it. And it's it's just an individual thing that you can what, do. Yeah. Well, I, I like this what you're what you're saying because it really isn't about a ma- necessarily a massive change. It's, 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 it's inches, right? Do we, you know, like we're in a football game, right? If we, we move an inch to the left and move an inch to the right, potentially we've changed the shape of the game. And, and really that's what you're talking about is it doesn't take a lot. It's really a game of inches in a sense that all you need to do is pivot a little bit. And, and, and I like that. I mean, I, I've been part of my behavior is I, I stay up late. I get up early and then I'll say at six or thirty in the morning, I'm gonna go work out. And I'll go, well, you know what? I gotta I gotta call at seven or seven thirty. I think I'll wait until noon. And of course, then it's four or five o'clock, and that never happens. So I've been just trying to just get up and go right down, work out before I do any, even before a cup of coffee, which is it is which is unheard of for me. But that that has changed for me, you know, to do two or three times a week like that, then it frees up other things and I don't stress over it at night. But yeah, I, I could see that because again, just changing those drastic things are just probably not realistic. Thank you for summarizing it so beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> I, I think one of the, the words I, I wrote down when I when I think about culture and engagement and, and senior management working employees is about trust. Mm-hmm. It's about building trust that that people will deliver and follow through on what they say. I mean, did you find that that's kind of a key aspect? That is actually the baseline. So without trust, it's very difficult to move on to being able to have tough conversations. I mean, if I if I don't know that you have my back and I can disagree with you, if I can't have that difficult conversation, then how can I get further? How, how can I then really get committed to anything around the organization? Because my voice isn't going to be heard. Mm-hmm. Right? So that trust is huge. And if I can't be committed, then can you really hold me accountable to something I haven't really committed to? Oh, I can shake, I can, I can nod my head. Yes, all day long, like most people do. Yep, yep, yep. Oh yeah, I'm in, I'm in, but I'm not. And and so that's the that's the issue and that's the problem. And, and in my academies, actually, that's what I start with, and that's where we take it because it's so important to reestablish that trust. And one of the ways that I do that and that other people can do that is when when we're transforming behavior so if somebody is not behaving their best in their best self right they're not being their best self 
it's important that other people see that transformation as it's happening. So, you know, to say, oh, they're getting coaching. Oh, they're doing this leadership academy. Oh, you know, with the colleagues around them or their team, it doesn't work. Um, They have to actually see them making the effort, getting the results. So that's why I have them actually meet with me once a month, because I want them to see them getting the results. I want them to see them going through the process and the struggle. And I want them to see that authenticity and vulnerability and who they really are behind that facade and that insecurity that, that creates that toxicity. And that elevates trust. I was going to ask you about a story with one of your clients, but you kind of already told me one. <laughs> I love the chair guy. I'm gonna, I, it's going to be sticking in my brain for a while. Uh, so, so, you know, 2020 is certainly a year that will go down in infamy here. We, you know, it's changed the way we work. It's changed culture. It's changed relationships. So how is, how is COVID in the pandemic, in this sheltering in place, so to speak, how has that impacted not you, but the, the people that you work with? Because now there's isolation and there's distractions and there's disconnections when it comes to employees and not employees with employees, employees with their senior leaders. And I mean, the, the, I mean, it's a it's a it's a mess. <laughs> how have some of those kind of transpired in, in helping people to come get over those? fears, if you will, was that isolation. Thank you for asking. I have learned a lot during this COVID time uh, through my clients. I have learned that um, many of my CEOs that have had a very difficult time with, you know, if I don't see you, that means you're not working. You know, that whole mindset, uh, it was really difficult to get some of my CEOs out of that mindset. And the ones that I that weren't able to move past that, I I realized that the reason they weren't able to move past that is because they all own their buildings. They don't lease them. That's interesting. Yes. And so they want their people back. Right. And but but the majority of them unless they're the manufacturers and distributors that are just bursting at the seams and construction companies, um, they, they have learned that it's not really, it doesn't matter. This is my line to them. Does it really matter if they're watching Netflix and eating bonbons, if they're overproducing, if they're meeting or exceeding your expectations, who the hell cares if they're in their jacuzzi naked while they're working? I, I re- Do you really care? You're not seeing them naked. You're not seeing them in their jacuzzi. They're exceeding your expectations. So who cares if they're watching Netflix like every half an hour? In the, in the hour that they're working, they're kicking butt, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so they've gotten over that. The other thing that um, has really struck me is the familial relationships, the close relationships. Um, I've been doing a lot of marriage counseling more than usual um, and family counseling. Before COVID, I had saved three marriages. And now in the last year, I'm not sure exactly how many it's been, but (laughs) we're doing very well. Um, And I have separated one. One (laughs) I think it was better for everybody. But, um, but that's really, really struck me and how much it's, um, how, how the dynamics of the family have affected the workplace and also how many women, my women clients, uh, really don't want to, they, they don't want to go back to work into a building. They prefer to stay at home. Well, you, you were talking about productivity, and and I've seen some studies that talk about the increase. Even early in COVID, it was like 11%, 12% increase in productivity that that the researchers were finding. And I, I think that's even increased more now. I, I haven't looked, and maybe you have, of any studies that talk about the subject we're talking about, isolation and feeling distracted, and it's, then it's kind of having the reverse effect. But I don't think that's the case. I think people have, have fallen into a groove. I think there's going to be resistance to going back to 100% normal, whatever that normal happens to be going forward. Because to your point, 
If I can figure out that I don't need to sit in an office in a high rise on the 15th floor, that I can sit in my home and be as productive or, or more productive. Wh why would I want to do that when I can, you know, walk into my kitchen or see my kids walking around or, or pet my cat, whatever it happens to be, right? It, it, that creates a little more of that, you know, holy grail that we were talking about. I think you're right, Angelo. And um, with that, there is also distance bias. And talking about trust, there is this notion that if I don't see you, if I don't see you every day, if you don't sit next to me, I am more likely to distrust you hmm. than if I see you every day. So, and that's the proximity bias. If you sit closer to me, I'm more likely to trust you. Um, so those things can play into, into the whole situation as well. Now that can destroy a relationship that was already kind of rocky. So it's all over the place only in that when COVID hit, we had relationships all over the place in terms of trust, in terms of how rocky were they? So if they were rocky to begin with, COVID hasn't exactly made them better. And if they were solid, they've remained solid. So, um, you know, I've seen some of them go from rocky to solid with some of the things that we've implemented. Um, and, some, and, and that's been wonderful because we've done some exercises that, you know, allow us to do that, that we can't really do in person. Um, without getting into people's space. So that's been really good. But for the most part, in general, um, what I'm noticing is that it really depends on the person, uh, where they get their energy from, if they get their energy from people, or by being isolated, and also about the relationships that they have. Where were they before? Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and how did they advance? Or maybe get worse because of the tools that we have now. Uh, a curious question. When, when you engage with somebody, I mean, are you, what's, what's the process? I mean, are you having a conversation like we're doing now and you're assessing, or are you having them fill out some assessment tool or how do you, how would you figure out who I am and what my issues are? <laughs> Not that I have any, of course, but. <laughs> but I'm talking to my wife. Where's my wife? Don't ask her. But <laughs> So my first thing that I do is just I just meet them to see if I like them because I don't work with anyone I don't like. And um, and they also have to like me. So that's it. That is really the first session. And um, if that's comfortable and we want to proceed, then then we go ahead and do so. And in that first session, I also get a sense of how coachable they are uh, and how willing they are to be open with me. I tell them that everything is confidential because everything is. And the only thing I report back to whoever I'm reporting back to, if whoever's paying the bills, is that we met um, and how long we met for. But nobody gets to see their notes unless I get written uh, permission from them. So really, that's how it starts. And I don't take every client because life is just too short. <laughs> well, you know what? You're absolutely right. It, it, you know, it's interesting as as entrepreneurs and, and solopreneurs and, and running our own businesses, it is a difficult thing to say no to a potential client. And and I remember the very first time when I was I had my agency, we fired a client who had a huge monthly fee. But they were so disruptive, back to the whole conversation, they were so disruptive to the firm that my people hated working with them. And it's got to the point where there was no amount of money that made any sense because it was hurting everything else. And I, and I, and, and there's been times as in this last go around for me, I started this business in 2014 after another stint on the corporate side and another long story and why that got the hell out of there. But, um, it's been difficult to say no, thank you. And and I've gotten over the last several years, it's like, I'm doing what you're doing, right? I'm having a conversation. And I mean, I had somebody call me up one day and said, hey, you've been recommended to me, but I have to tell you, I don't believe in marketing. So convince me. I was like, mm, yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> and, it was, and it was shocked. It was like, why? I said, because I'm going to have to convince you today 
and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and why I'm of value. You don't need me. You don't want me. You know, thank you very much. I appreciate it. And I wasn't quite that blunt, but I was probably pretty close to it. And so part of it to you is, is, is there, is there a chemistry? I just talking to somebody a few weeks ago and after we did, they wanted a, a zoom meeting and we talked on the, on the call, there was two of them. And at the end they went, they didn't crack a smile. They didn't say anything funny. They, they were so stoic. It was like, boy, if that's how they are, I'm not sure I could work with them. Right. And I'm not sure that, you know, that that's going to be a real fun, a fun situation. Cause part of what we do, we have to enjoy it. Right. Right. If we're miserable doing what we're doing, then who gives a, who wants to help somebody else if we, you know, that, uh, that, that makes that happen. Right. Right. Absolutely. Is there a kind of a self-assessment that, that someone needs to go through when you think about a corporation? So, Hey, I'm here. I got all these employees and I think I'm wonderful, but I don't know that I need you, Carol. So, um, you know, how do people get introspective and, and really kind of assess to the point? And I know you said you get a call because somebody else is calling on the other person's behalf. But do people ever self-assess and say, I'm in trouble, my, my people hate me or whatever? Yes, <laughs> yes, they do. They do. Many times they do. They say, I really don't know what to do anymore. I'm at a loss. I've tried everything. And um, I just, I, I, I can't. I, I don't know what I do, I, what to do. I've tried everything and I, it must be me, <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know I lose my temper. I know I just tell people what to do in a very abrupt way. And I know I have to change. I just don't know how to do it. Can you help me? And yes, a lot of it happens, you know, like that. Um, and so, you know, in terms of assessments, yes, I have different, uh, types of assessments based on what the situation is. I am a very big promoter of predictive index. My clients love that. Uh, I use, sometimes I use disc, um, but you know, I, I, I don't really make money off of those things. I use them as tools for my client. So I don't like them to spend money on those things. So I use them when it's relevant and when it's needed. Um, I also use 360 tools and, and things of that nature. So um, I have a lot of tools based on the situation, you know, that, that we use. But yeah, definitely it happens. Definitely. And and once we get started, you know, once they meet me for some reason, they're um, even if they're really like hard and people are like, you're never going to get into that person's mind. They're never going to even say hi to you. For some reason, they do. And maybe it's just because. I, you know, I, I look unassuming and I feel like not threatening. I don't know, but they tend to open up to me. Well, I think, I think, and again, I haven't known you that long, but I have to say in, in our in few times that we've been on the Zoom together, say phone call with Zoom, you put people at ease. I, I feel very at ease and, and hopefully this is coming through in the conversation that we're having today. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. I could see that. Um, and, and then that big bat you have behind you doesn't hurt either that you're going to swing that. It's a joke. You're looking, you're looking. Big bat. I'll put you at ease, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so one last question. Yes. What gets you out of bed every day? What inspires you to wake up, clap your hands and say, this is going to be a great day? First of all, what movie was that from? Do you remember? Uh, no, tell me. Jerry Maguire. Oh, I love it. Um, what gets you out of bed in the morning? What inspires you? I love it. I cannot wait to get out of bed in the morning. So what inspires me is my academies in the morning. It's my speaking engagements. I cannot wait to get in there and see my teams. They're, they're like my mini families. And every month we meet and I love seeing the transformation every month. They report out their results every month and just seeing the glow on their faces and, and watching how they see each other even now virtually you can really see their faces just watching them 
see how each other has changed and how they communicate. It just feeds my soul. And it's interesting because many times I think, God, I would be doing this for free and I'm getting paid for this. Um, so it, it really is amazing. I mean, I can't wait. That's what I cannot wait for every single day. It excites me to no end. Well, this has been a lovely conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I, I hope listeners have, have benefited from this conversation. I hope if you're in need out there and, and you need some help, I'm going to point you right to, to Carol. And then second, she's going to tell you how you can reach her. Um, so I'm going to turn that over to you. Why don't you tell them all the great ways they can contact you? <laughs> well, um, better than just writing a note and putting it on a pigeon. Now we can actually <laughs> um, send an email to carol at executivelyontamer.com. You can go to the website, executivelyontamer.com. You can go to my LinkedIn. Um, and yeah, any one of those things will work. The, the phone number for my office is 951-888-5857. And so one of us will answer the phone and I cannot wait to talk to any one of you out there that wants to chat. Thank well, I, I hope you will reach out. Thank you so much. This has been great. And thank you for joining us at the cafe today. Here's my plug. If your business needs a CMO or a senior level marketing person, but you're not quite ready for a full-time person yet, connect with me to find out more about my fractional interim for consulting marketing services. You can visit theponzigroup.com and there's a variety of resources, blogs, videos, eBooks. You can connect with me on LinkedIn, all sorts of ways to communicate with me. And lastly, if you're a subscriber to this show, thank you so much. And it, I appreciate it and I encourage you to let others know about this show so they can benefit from the great content like we heard today with Carol. You can go to thebusinessgrowthcafe.com or subscribe on any podcast platform you like to listen to. I am now on Pandora. I am now on Amazon. So I am conquering the world with this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, and I hope to take you with me. And don't forget to join me next week here at the Business Growth Cafe. Carol, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's discussion at the Business Growth Cafe with your host, Angelo Ponzi. Take a moment to subscribe to this podcast and visit our website at www.businessgrowthcafe.com. Read Angelo Ponzi's blogs at www.theponzigroup.com.